0: Thank you for joining us on episode 85 here of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast, everyone. Before we get going, I just want to say thank you for everyone who tunes in uh, every month here for our episodes, and uh, if you haven't already done so, I'm going to do the old shameless ask here and say, go to whatever platform you're listening to us on and uh, you know hit that like button. Click that five stars and give us a little rating and uh that's going to help us pump out more content for you guys pretty much and uh today we we have uh trent marsh on from spy point trail cameras or spy point uh cameras and uh man we get into some some real awesome topics but before we jump into that Today, I got Sheldon Grant coming in from
1: Brandon. How you doing, buddy? How's your internet connection doing over there? My internet's fucking brutal over here. The whole podcast inter- or interview we just did, I was in and out of service, and I don't know if I'm still doing it or if it's Chase, but he's frozen pointing at me right now. Um, so I will apologize on behalf of everyone here that we're still doing these remotely because of COVID. So it is what it is, but yeah, I'm in Brandon doing super well did some fishing there last weekend on the banks of the cinnaboyne never caught the sturgeon i was looking for but got a few cats and some some walleye and had a good lunch and and although there's covid covid rules in effect there was some people on the riverbank that i got to uh, say hi to and haven't seen for a while so it was all good it was a really fun uh, past weekend here
0: yeah it was awesome that was a good little odin i'm i'm still in belief that uh you had actually sent us to uh, get lost on the Cinnaboyne River and um, somehow get tangled up in some sort of drug uh, exchange that may or may have not been going down there at said location where we
1: ended up. So I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. But Well I don't know I don't know what <laughs> you're asking me right now, and I may or may not have sent you to my drug pickup location. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no I don't know what happened there it was uh it was funny because I sent you my location on the river and yeah you guys were way far off and then when you called me on the phone you're like well you told me to, to turn at IKEA," and I was like no man like we don't even have an Ikea in Brandon turn at Kia like the fucking vehicle store and turn there and we'll be all good but then the thing was I told you to turn I think I told you to turn west when you should have turned east and oh well you guys made it there and it was all good
0: yeah, yeah, we still ended up having a good day. Makes for a good story, so that was great. Uh, Tristan is coming into us from from Lockport across the river from me right now. How you doing, buddy?
2: Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Just uh, chilling in the basement here. Uh, Willie's taking a snooze. He was in his kennel most of the day today, so he's pretty rambunctious in the evening. But, uh, yeah. Uh, happy to hear that the podcast went well there.
0: Jets jersey on game night tonight. First playoff game for the Jets, so that's that's big news. But uh, the bigger news is uh, you're coming off a W from the weekend here in the, in the Turkey Woods. Oh yeah, that was uh that that was a, a weekend to remember
2: in some ways. I know. Our turkey camp essentially got canceled because of every restriction known to man just came into place when we were about to head west to go hunt turkeys. So we put that off, and uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to get turkey hunting out at all this year. I thought maybe I'd get sucked in at home doing chores or something like
0: that. You know, <laughs> it goes. Yeah, it was kind of weird because you know we obviously had very high hopes coming into the spring and. And things were looking good COVID wise. And, and, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, a crazy wet spring, which ended up being a bad thing for, for Turkey camp too, because, uh, burn bans and travel restrictions and all that. Um, but, uh, we were still able to make it out to the woods and, and persevere. We, uh, totally changed up plans a little bit and, and got some help from one of our buddies there, Wes. So he was a huge help to, to this huge piece of the puzzle to our success here. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to chat a little turkey sure, turkey yeah. hunt? We could talk about it. We're here.
2: Um, so, yeah, we were actually supposed to meet up with Sheldon after, like, on that riverbank to go fishing. Um, but we figured why not squeeze in one turkey hunt before that. And it was kind of a long shot, but it, we knew turkeys are around because, like you said, Wes was help, helping us figure it out there and uh we uh we had to drive separately because the covid rules so we had virtually no time to game plan uh what what was going on how we were gonna do film or anything like that so when you roll in chase tries the the door slam to see if we can get a shock gobble no luck and then i'm gearing up and he gives a little cut on the the slate call there and sure enough we had a gobble, like, what, 200 yards away? Yeah, the, the the old creek bed just lit up there. They were in it, so we ran down to our spot where we thought that maybe the turkeys would come out, set up, Chase plugs in his decoys. I don't know if you've seen Chase's decoy spread for turkeys, but it consists of a couple pop-up turkey uh, decoys, and he lost the the pegs that go with it, so he's using sticks that Cut. he's... Custom
0: sticks. Yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> I remember picking those things up. I thought, are these your good sticks? I said, and you're like, yeah, those are my good sticks.
0: They got to be the right size. Otherwise, they end up like slipping right through the hole in the turkey's back and uh, just going to the dirt. So so what, what was your
2: mindset setting up there? Because I wanted to set up a little more into the creek because I thought they were going to cl- cross closer to the cover because they had to hop a fence, right? Or whatever turkeys do.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, so... But so, you landed up setting us up on the hill. Yeah, so we had permission. The turkeys were on a piece of property that we didn't have permission on. So we had to pull them across out of the out of the creek bottom pretty much and up across a fence and onto that, that property line. And um, my thinking was, I, I've seen them over to the, to the west of where we were before. And they... My thoughts also were, like, they, like, strutting in the sunlight, getting all fanned up, getting that sun bouncing off them, getting warmed up. Uh, so, I thought just that hilltop would be a nice spot to set up, easy for them to see the decoys. And uh, I thought that would just be the action spot for them, you know? Yeah, well, let me tell you, it paid
2: off because we both kind of hunkered down in the same bluff there. And you started calling and got set up and with the camera and I was a little ways closer to the decoys and like hunkered down in the bush. And yeah, they used the, the jakes came in almost instantly, I would say, like four of those jakes. Mm-hmm. And they they were up on those those decoys pretty quick, I'd say.
0: Yeah, it kind of kind of made me hesitant because those, those jakes wheeled in there, but they didn't want to cross that fence, right? And uh, I figured, here yeah. we go, now we're in trouble.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that uh, maybe is a repeat of uh, Bill Jordan's barbed wire buck there, eh? Yeah, possible. Anyways, the other factor that I wasn't thrilled about is we had the sun right in our face. So um, I was worried we were going to get spotted because like we're basically getting lit up like a bunch of convicts in that bush at that point in time, I'd say. <laughs> Anyways, we were doing things legally, but it felt... Uh, like we had way too much sunlight on us, and then you kept calling, and those toms were gobbling still from that creek bed, and uh, I was uh, I was kind of looking over to you. You didn't see me. I was kind of looking over to you, like was getting ready to ask the like the old Elky question, like, "Hey, should we switch things up here? or Like, do we need to change tactics?" And you, know, as soon as I was thinking that, that I saw that one. It sounded like those toms got closer. You know what
0: I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. It was uh, It was uh I I, I don't want to talk like I know exactly what I'm doing in the turkey was because I don't, <clears throat> but I feel like I, I did a little like hard to get calling wise with them and just gave them enough to be super interested, but didn't give them enough to keep them overstimulated. So I felt like the curiosity got there. The best of them there and yeah. over they came
2: well and if you want to talk about not knowing things like i couldn't tell if i was looking at jakes or hands for the first five ten minutes there because the sun was in my face <laughs> couldn't see see any beards or anything like that and they were all uh they they weren't fluffed out or anything like that so i was like oh man like what's is there even like a legal bird in there
0: like what's the story yeah so yeah those jakes didn't really start displaying until the those toms were started coming up that hill, right? So that was kind of interesting to see. They just kind of hung out on the, the, right beside that little willow bush. And then uh, once those toms started coming up the hill, they just fanned out in the sun, and that was pretty cool to see. Yeah.
2: And I I, I bet, so, and then those toms came. You saw them first, because you were in a better position, I think. And they were coming straight for the decoys. And it's funny, it's like time almost slows down, because... I'm sure it wasn't more than half an hour that we were there. But it it felt like probably like an hour just because we were waiting for these toms to appear. And then they were there. And they beelined straight for the decoy. And I had to make my mind up real quick, I felt like, over which one I was picking. And I I landed up looking at one. And he had some feathers out of his fan there. But he looked like the bigger bird. So I I was like, okay, I'm going to take him. And like you were, you were saying, like there was that fence line there, and they were approaching the fence line. And the question was just hanging in my mind: I was like, man, is this guy gonna cross? And like, as soon as he was there, he didn't even slow down. Like he basically just ducked and kept going at the, at the uh,
0: decoy there. Yeah, he had so one, as, one thing yeah. on his mind that fella. Yeah, yeah,
2: which was kind of nice. Normally, normally it seems like when we're elk hunting the. You know, the big bull's hanging way back and is, we'll let everyone else run out into the meadow before he gets out kind of scenario um, but yeah, so this turkey ducks in, weaves in and as soon as he pops his head up I let him have it and you were filming the whole thing which was fortunate I, I did feel like you learned a lesson filming though um, the way you did stuck in the bush like that Yeah. bring a tripod yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> So I was trying not to move, and you were trying to be locked into filming mode, which is kind of funny. But yeah. Um, so yeah, you got the the head whack. I think I hit him pretty clean up top. There, when I cleaned him up, there was no pellets or anything like lower lower than the neck or anything like that. So that's awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was a it was a good shot, man. It was probably about a twenty yard shot, and it just. Uh it's been the the turkey hunt we've been waiting to have for about three years so I, i'm i super pumped it worked out the way the way it did and hopefully we have a another youtube video to put up here shortly to see you guys and experience the hunt with us totally
2: yeah it was wild it was like i couldn't believe that it came together like that it was almost like i was literally in disbelief that that it came together that smoothly. None, I feel like none of the hunts we planned come together like that. Maybe, maybe the odd waterfowl hunt or something like
0: that. Yeah, yeah, it just came together. Um, the one thing that that made a difference there, like last weekend or the weekend previous, that I went out there and I was cruising around with Wes and he was showing me all the spots that we had permission on and and uh, you know where we found turkeys and I, I marked it all out on. IHunter. hunter not only did i map my my uh my tracks to know like exactly what road i was on i also like put waypoints on fields that i wanted to hunt and spots that i wanted to hunt so i knew exactly like in the dark heading out there where we wanted to set up which was which was cool and super handy and even thinking back to that like
2: uh if you've got that point in eye hunter now too like i remember when i was deer hunting there was a few locations i didn't know off by heart yet like down the gravel road and i could just right from iHunter that that would plug directly into your imaps or google maps or whatever and you could get driving directions to that location um instantly so that that's kind of nice too like you could get driving directions through a waypoint basically yeah which is you know just a really great integrated feature i feel like
0: but yeah that was a pretty awesome experience with, with the turkey hunt. Sheldon, you got some big news that you want to share here too, don't you?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I got a bunch of big news to actually just... welcome to the podcast again, back to the podcast. Sounds like a wicked trip, Tristan. I'm super pumped that you uh, got to not only shoot a turkey, but spend some time with your brother in the woods and get it on film. I'm really excited to check that out when it comes out on, on YouTube. Hopefully you guys have got enough content there. Um, but, yeah, I got a couple little announcements. First of all, anybody that doesn't follow us on social media, um, I would highly suggest to go and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. But what we've decided to do as a little panoramic team is do a giveaway every week for the entire summer. So until October, or not October, till August 31st, every week we're going to give away one prize. And all you got to do is follow us on social media and then submit a picture. And you can do that by tagging us or sending it like direct message or even using the the hashtag panoramic outdoors and we'll check that and what we'll do is we'll put it up on our story we may even make a post about it if there's a cool story behind it so we're doing a giveaway every week like i said and this week it's time to announce the winners we between tristan chase and i we came up with three three pictures i've decided that i'm going to pick a winner for myself um, but the three finalists this week is uh, track coach K. He actually submitted a picture of opening day with him and his kids on a local lake by Nipah. And, I, and we all kind of thought it was pretty cool. You know, opening day got his kids out. They, ca- they caught some jackfish. It, it was just a it was kind of, one of those pictures that told a story. Um, Case Shileto, I believe that's how you say it. He sent us in a picture of him. I think it was a trout or something in the mountains. It was just a beautiful picture. It was a beautiful outdoor activity. And then Barrett Marley is the last finalist. And she is actually an avid listener of the podcast, so she says. And she was catching tune on the ocean, and it was an undisclosed area. She never told us where it was, but hopefully they're still catching a lot of tuna out there. But this week's winner, uh, they're going to win a hat, some decals, and a tank top, I believe. It is going to be track coach K. And I think it's just one of those things, you get your kids out, you get them out there, and you know, introducing anyone to the outdoors, no matter what it is, is always going to kind of touch, the, touch our hearts a little bit. So congratulations, Coach. Um, get a hold of us, DM us, and uh, send us your information, and we'll send you a prize. That being said, this happens every week until August 31st. So if you didn't get your pictures in, or if you already did throw a picture in, Make sure you throw in another one this week because we're not recycling pitchers. Keep sending them in. Keep tagging us. And we might have some wicked prizes coming down the line. And actually, I'm just going to keep going here because one thing that I am going to do coming up right, right away quick is what we uh, we started working with Wool Love again. And if you don't know what Wool Love is, we we we're working with them back in the fall, and we actually wore their gear all year. It's kind of like a base layer system that's made out of like 100% merino wool. So that's one of the, the prizes that we're gonna throw in this summer. We might might be a golf shirt, might be some uh, like long underwear, might be whatever it is. But this company, uh, we've been working l- with them. Like I said, they're super cool. They got really durable, breathable type uh, base layers. It's it ho- it doesn't hold any odor. What is it called, Chase? Microfemboobular, antimicrobial. <laughs> yeah, exactly what I said. So what that does is it provides very uh, lots of versatility, and and, and it's uh, great for your active outdoor lifestyle. Uh, they got a lot of cool things coming out this year. They got um, a lot of women's items like new tank tops, um, underwear, all that kind of stuff, and then they got like the basics. So you got your t-shirts, your socks, your boxers, and they also got a golf shirt coming out. So if you want to check their their product out, go to www.woolove. Sorry, www.wool.love. And you can use our Panoramic uh, promo code. It's Panoramic10, and you'll get 10% off on your purchase. And not only that, but they got a lot of cool bundles where you can save up to 25%. So check them out. They're a huge supporter of Panoramic Outdoors, and we've been using their gear, like I said, for this past year, and, and we all love it. One uh, one thing I want to kind of mention here about
0: the weekend is, uh, you know, we, we try and obviously everybody knows pit barrel barbecues – are a huge supporter of this podcast as well and uh man when when we thought that we're heading out fishing to get together that that's one thing that we have to toss in the box of the truck and make some kick-ass meal on the shores of the assiniboine river so um tristan went out and picked up some choice groceries and why don't you tell the lovely listeners what what you whipped up out out there for us tristan
2: well, I think Sheldon had decided on steak sandwiches. And uh, is that right, Sheldon? Yeah, actually I did, yeah. I was yeah. craving a
1: steak sandwich.
2: Yeah, so we, I was out shopping, and then Chase shoots me, text says, better check in with Sheldon. I think Sheldon's going shopping. So I said, well, what the hell? So I said, screw it, I'm just buying everything. And we got we got some steaks from in town there. And um, yeah, did the steaks on the pit barrel and did a little bit of like a, on a like a pepper onion mushroom medley on your your kerosene stove there uh little french baguette for bread with garlic butter and uh kind of bobs
0: your uncle there i would say yeah it was like a towering sandwich of meat and mushrooms onions and peppers on this just wonderfully toasted baguette and we pretty much fed the entire fishing bank or the yeah. Tire river the bank. Shoreline. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That was pretty. Yeah. So the pit barrel's great for that. Cooked those steaks perfectly, and then I made a very imposing sandwich for sure. The other thing I'm super excited about is we got the the turkey breast I got right now dry brining. So I'm thinking if you bring that pit barrel camping chase, I might snag it off you there for an evening to
0: to do like a a turkey a smoked turkey sandwich of sorts. Mm, nice. Looking forward to that. I'm definitely bringing it. I'll toss it in the box of the truck. Um, so if, if you guys are interested in getting your hands on a pit barrel, you know, they're a very affordable option for um, anyone that wants to step up your cooking game. Um, go to pitbarrelcookers.com. In the States, they have free shipping statewide. In Canada here, check out their map of distributors in Canada on their website. And uh, you can find... Uh, uh, store locally near you that you can pick up one of these things and and uh take your barbecue game to the next level
2: the other thing i was really pumped about is i feel like my leatherman finally cut its teeth and and to say that like i i cleaned my turkey with my leatherman kind of like you did there chase and uh not only was it nice having it on the hip but uh, to get it dirty and working with that first kind of like a uh, cleaned animal under its belt there. Like that was a, I feel like that was a christening of sorts. So,
0: and of course it like just super easy with the leatherman. Right. Yeah. man. I've been, I've been carrying mine everywhere on my hip lately. And, uh, it has come into handy into use, uh, definitely daily. And it's just like stuff that you don't even think of. Honestly, um, uh, when we're out shooting, uh, the camera i'm like putting camera t- gear together with it um i've been out fishing twice with the boys i'm pinching barbs um, pulling hooks out of fish's mouths with it uh all kinds of stuff we're cutting tags we're cleaning turkeys so it's the use of this thing is just endless
2: sheldon you you have a pretty uh you have the black one there that's a pretty nice model too i noticed when we're out fishing
1: yeah, I, mean, I was uh, I was really impressed with it. I think I think I said in the last podcast episode, I've never owned a multi tool really, other than like the Swiss Army knives and stuff that I got as a kid. But uh, having the Leatherman there and having it handy for not only myself but anyone else that was using it or not using it, but anyone else I was fishing that needed either a, knife or a pair of pliers, the like needle nose pliers, whatever, it was super cool. And only that I didn't get to uh, christen my knife on a. Leaf, but I did get to smoke some pineapple on the, on the pit barrel there. And I cut it up with my Leatherman. So same, same. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he murdered a pineapple with your Leatherman. Wonderful. Yep. Awesome. Well, uh, before we carry on here, guys, one last thing for I hunter, if you guys are interested in getting a public land subscription from them, uh, do yourself a favor, go to web.ihunterapp.com type in panoramic30 and that's going to get you 30% off for the year. So that's panoramic30 at web.ihunterapp.com. And uh, again, something we use constantly, whether we're in the field or not. Um, But without further ado, uh, let's roll Trent Marsh. All right, and joining us today... From spy point trail cameras i guess it's more of a spy point as a brand now but uh trent marsh where are you coming in from today trent northeast indiana the the wilderness that is northeast indiana that's awesome man well thanks for joining us today and thanks for uh taking the time out to uh, come and sit down with us yeah appreciate it um we were chatting a little bit earlier here and uh we're gonna get into uh, sounds like a pretty awesome interesting hunting story of uh an awesome white-tailed deer you got last fall but uh we start every podcast out here with uh with a little get to know you segment called the five burning questions so um what it is is uh we're going to ask you five questions here answer them as you will and uh yeah sounds so good we're going to start out with the uh, the first one you have uh a lot of these questions are kind of framed up like it's your it's your last something your last day to have something so your last meal what do you what's going to be on your plate and uh what are you going to wash it down with
3: i i want lamb chops um i'm i'm big on lamb chops and probably scallops because i can get greedy so we're gonna do a a nice kind of a an off the reservation surf and turf there um and uh i think some bone marrow to go along with it just to just to really ramp it up that's nice we'll we'll go with that yeah all approaching down with uh jefferson reserve kentucky bourbon whiskey jefferson reserve
0: little corn whiskey i like your i like that man if uh Tristan, our other partner, was on here. He'd uh, he'd be all over that. He's a huge whiskey guy, uh, bourbon hey, uh, guy. Yep,
3: that's that is the drink of choice.
0: Awesome, awesome. <laughs> um, and not too sure if you're you're a music man, but uh, if you had, you know, one last band to go see at concert, alive or dead, who would you go see?
3: I would. I'd go back and see ACDC dc again. I'm not big on concerts, but if I'm gonna go to a concert, it's gonna be somebody. You know, there is, there does not exist on earth. This is, a, it's actually a fact that I'm sure people probably aren't even aware of. Um, there actually isn't a speaker or stereo system on earth. That's able to be turned up loud enough to fully enjoy ACDC. Uh, so if you're going to go to a concert, like make sure you have the best audio on, on earth to, uh to enjoy AC/DC one more time.
0: Ain't that the truth, man? Like uh if, if you don't have, uh, thunderstruck on full blast every time it comes on in the truck. Uh-huh. I don't even know.
3: I like, don't know if we can be point? friends. Yeah. What are you even doing? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> right on. Yep. That's a good answer. Have you seen ACDC before in concert? I did. I saw him on the uh, the stiff upper lip tour in two thousand. Oh amazing. That would have been a good one. Um obviously we're here to talk a little trail cams, a little hunting. Um if you had to choose one last hunt where would you go what would you do
3: what would you be after zimbabwe cape buffalo 416 rigby whoa let's go
0: yeah horsepower yeah right on have you been over that way hunting uh, I, the exotics
3: sadly not uh that is that is uh it's on the short list of things that i need to make happen before i'm too old to enjoy doing it um yeah getting to africa is definitely definitely on the short list i want to i want to do the plains game thing before i i try to do the buffalo thing but um for for as long as i can remember going after cape buffalo that's that's the list
0: yeah no kidding that's awesome what do you think what's your desire there for the cape buffalo is it uh you know the the danger of the hunter is there there's something, something more. Yeah.
3: It should probably be some like super romantic thing like that. Right. But my first job was on a dairy farm. Oh yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of like reserved cattle anger, just like pent up, um, (laughs) that probably factors in, I guess. Um, no, I just, it's, um, you know, it's a big five. There's, there's a reason that, uh, you know, people, people think of the cats as being dangerous. Um, but but the buffalo will come after you. Um and I know there's there's a lot of guys that do it with a bow and I like to bow hunt too um but for me it's it's more just that the nostalgia factor and you mm-hmm. can still get uh A there's nothing that says you have to be 100 yards away when you're using a rifle to pull yeah. the trigger and B um you know it's just it's still the the nostalgia factor for me is the idea of doing the 416 rigby thing and and chasing buffalo that's that's just one of those hunts that from a very early age was ingrained uh as something that uh, that i want to do
0: that's cool and uh question number four here not sure if you're a fisherman at all but if you could fish one fish for the rest of your life where where what would you do <laughs> smallmouth bass man you guys like them bass down there right eh?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, we do walleye and and musky and, you know, we got really lucky here in Northeast Indiana that we're kind of on the, the Southern edge of the really good kind of Northern species fishing. Right. And we're on the, or sorry the southern edge of the northern species fishing and then we're on kind of the northern fringe of where you can still get um you know i've caught eight pound bass in in northeast indiana which isn't you know a monster by a lot of yeah you know by a lot of standards but that's still a really good fish and by the same token i've caught a 44 inch muskie. so yeah oh, um, no there's kidding. not a lot of places in the country where you can scratch both those itches within you know five miles uh bodies of water so yeah it's hard to beat
0: yeah. good fishing is good fishing in the in the end and if it's local and it's it's a hot spot people are going to do
3: it right and smallmouth is one that we don't have the numbers and the quality around here that you know western new york or minnesota or wisconsin That ounce for ounce man those things are they're fighters
0: oh big they don't time. eat as
3: well as the walleye but
0: man do they fight yeah yeah they're a blast and uh while we're on the uh transitioning into the into the eventually the the main conversation here, but one last trail camera to use right now. What would you be hanging on the tree? Link Micro LTE. The Link
1: Micro mm-hmm. and I got a follow-up question for that there, Trent. Um, you hang that camera up. What is like one uh, species that you like to target to get on camera? There's something that always kind of gets your gears there. I mean,
3: here locally, like our really, I mean, aside from turkey our only thing to hunt is whitetail um you know we don't we are blessed thank thank the lord that we don't have feral hogs that we have to monitor with our trail cameras um you know we don't we don't have bears we don't you know we just we don't have we have whitetail and we have turkeys um you know in in terms of things that you can actually really try to target to have on your trail camera and things that you really have seasons seasons for relative to big game so um you know, here locally where I'm doing the the vast majority of my hunting, Um, you know, I, I, where I might be a little bit different and yeah, here now we're getting into the controversial portion of the podcast, right? <laughs> where I might be different is I would rather see a trail camera full of does. I don't want my trail camera in a bedroom. I don't want my trail camera showing me bucks in August because you usually don't find those deer in the same area come october and november so guys that are all excited about oh i got all these bucks on camera i'm like dude it's july 4th (laughs) they will by the time you can do something about it they are anywhere else so what i like to see on my trail camera this time of year july august early september if I've got four doe family groups in front of that trail camera at different times, I am grinning. I am tickled. I don't need random buck walks by. That's fine. If I know I've got does, I'm a happy camper.
0: I guess that's a, that's a pretty good tip right there. If you're, if you're getting a lot of bucks on the trail camera, you know, we've talked about that before on the podcast too, is how, how the, uh, the patterns of the bucks change within like the the first two weeks of hunting season up here anyways pretty much when that velvet starts coming off we got we got like one or two maybe three weeks where the velvet's still on at the start of archery season but Mm -hmm. uh man once that velvet starts coming off it's like see you later bucks so that uh definitely changes stuff up do you uh do you do any uh scouting for turkeys with your trail trail cameras at all
3: yeah mainly just um where i find it the most useful is timing um you know turkeys are nice they tell you where they're at unless least until they start getting hunted quite a bit right so if you're doing a little bit of scouting um in the morning or the evening and, and you kind of know where they're roosting or at least where they're flying down at you can get in the ballpark um but i think we all kind of underestimate how much ground a turkey covers in a day um you know they're they'll cover miles you know, it's not uncommon for them to run a a mile or two loop through the course of the day. Um, and it's, it's great. You know, if, if you've got a big enough spot where, you know, you can go in and get 50 yards from those roosted roosted birds and, and, you know, be right on them first thing in the morning, but, you know, especially around here, it's a lot of broken wood, lots, a lot of smaller, smaller land where you you got 20 acres to hunt over here, but they're roosting on, you know, 40 acres that you can't necessarily hunt. So, Mm -hmm. um, mainly just using those trail cameras to figure out timing of of where they're at you know they're they're very habit-based birds so typically you know they're going to fly down and they're going to go to a spot they like in the morning and then they're going to go slay up for a little bit and then they're going to go to a spot they like for the afternoon so figuring out how that timing works out um has has been a big help um knowing, knowing that you can get into a field. I think a lot of guys kind of shy away from field hunting sometimes because you're, you know, you're a big, ugly ball walking across the middle of the field and spook those birds off there. But if you, if you've got that camera set up such that you can kind of keep an eye on it and you know, well, they're not out there till 10. Okay, well, great. Now, you know, you've bought yourself some time and you can sneak in there a little bit later and, Mm -hmm. and maybe make that morning approach a little bit differently. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Turkey hunting kind of funny too. Um, you know, every we've all seen guy kills a deer and, you know, he's perfectly happy with that deer and somebody always throws them. Hey, I should have given him another year. Or I wouldn't kill him. <laughs> Has anyone ever done that with a Turkey? Like, no. maybe a jake but like if it's a turkey uh you needed another three millimeters on those spurs like that's never a thing that gets said uh for for turkeys so um you know you're not scouting individual turkeys like you would deer necessarily but just in terms of that general pattern general timing um they can be really helpful for getting that nailed down
0: that's an awesome tip i didn't realize they, they held such a pattern like that um there's, there's a couple of areas that I hunt turkeys that I can definitely see myself utilizing trail cameras a little more often just to try and figure out where they're, where they're at mm-hmm. when they're, when they're passing through and stuff. That's awesome. Now, how many, how many trail cameras do you generally like to run in, in, uh, say, say in the fall, you're going whitetail prepping for whitetail season. What will you put up for trail cameras?
3: It's really, it's really going to vary by the property. Um, again, I, you know, if I have one trail camera to choose, I'm going to choose that Link Micro S. Um, and the reason I'm going to choose that Link Micro S is because of that solar panel. Cellular cameras are great because you don't have to go in to pull the cards, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, if if you're hunting bucks and they know that you're hunting them, your job just got four times harder. So we, we all get excited. I'm guilty of it, have been in the past of, okay, the trail camera's been out for four days. I got to go get that card and I got to see what showed up. And and you're over scouting. Your your truck is showing up frequently. You're bumping deer off the field, going in to get it. You're pushing them out of bedding when you go in there, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, first of all, cellular cuts down on that. Having that solar panel integration lets me put that camera somewhere that maybe I wouldn't otherwise. Um, so to answer the actual question that you asked um some of it depends as to what kind of camera i'm running and how many i can run Mm -hmm. i don't want to have my scouting be an intrusion right um again maybe some of that too kind of goes back to um around here you know 50 acres is a that's a big chunk you know you, you got guys that have some couple hundred acre you know, lots to hunt, but a lot of guys are hunting 15, 18, 25 acres. So there's always somebody else bumping your deer. You you can't create sanctuary unless you can just stay off of it as much as possible. Um, so I, I like to hunt the little D deer. I just want to know, give me a basic pattern. Do I have does in the area? Um, so for the wood lots around here, I'm going to run... Of area that's I actually consider huntable, I'm going to try to run one camera for every five or 10 acres that I consider huntable, um, which again, some somewhat goes back to how big of an area, the biggest spot that I have access to hunt on is 80 acres and 65 of that, 60 of that is ag field, mm-hmm. but I'll run three cameras there um there's a couple drainage tile cuts through it and then there's a a heavily used north south trail that runs through there so i'll i'll hit both of those trails and i'll hit the north south trail um but it's again kind of goes back to the way that i approach it um i'm monitoring the doe trails i'm not worried about it's 80 acres none of those deer are living exclusively on 80 acres so why would I be trying to pattern a buck? It's right. not going to happen. There's, there's four adjacent plots of land that are hunted by four other people. So I can get really hung up on one particular buck that might show up one time in September and then wreck my season worrying about that, that big D deer. Mm-hmm. Or I can know how the does are using the property. I can put some venison in the freezer hunting the does. And I can take advantage of the fact that once the rut turns on, I know what those does are doing, that the does are still using that property the way that I want them to. And then wait for the buck that nobody even knew was there show up to cruise. Right. And just be in the right position.
0: Yeah. So he's coming, coming through to, to check out those does and uh, you're going to be hanging out there to catch them pretty much.
1: hundred percent. Nice. That's, that, that's super cool. Cause, uh, just to kind of butt in here, Chase, but I know my uh, my dad, my father, hunting with him all the time. He's probably like my first trail cam I've ever had because he kind of did those same things, did a lot of scouting, you know what I mean? He was out watching fields and he was always watching does. And, you know, once the trail cam technology came into play and I was always like, oh, these bucks, you know, and it never, just like you said, never works out. You might see them early and then all of a sudden you don't see them all year and then you might harvest a buck that you've never seen ever. So it's just like, yeah there's a lot of things that you just said there that that i'm uh i'm not writing down but i'm putting it up in the vault because uh i'm going to be trying some new things this year so <laughs> that's pretty cool at,
3: at least for me personally like trail cameras are a blessing and a curse there's been a lot of guys eat tag soup chasing you know september ghosts from their trail camera you know the you know northern indiana we're we're blessed you know we we do have some really nice deer in this country um you know i mean it's you're probably going to see 130 140 inch deer if you hunt even just a little like you might not have a shot at him he might not be close but you're going to see a, a really respectable deer to be able to take that nobody's going to be be crosswise about um and we've got some absolute monsters but you know, like I said, you get, we, we had one show up on our cameras on a farm this year um, and and a neighbor found a shed and I was really hoping we would find one because, um, you know, it's so tough to try to judge. You think you can, but it, it almost gets tougher the bigger they get. Uh, and he's a mainframe six by six, big, big deer. Bases are massive. Back of the napkin math, I had him at about 180 inches um Jeez. and then i killed my deer this last year and compared trail camera photos and once i taped my deer I'm like we're we're under we're under on this deer he, he has to be a 200 inch deer um and we watched him we watched him on cameras all september all the way he made it through the end of the year he cast sheds i have a half a half shed uh trail camera photo of him. Um, and it would have been real easy for, uh, you know, that that I hunt that property with another guy and and one of his boys, and it would have been really easy for us to have all got just absolutely caught up in, Oh God, it's it's, it's, just a huge deer and got to kill that deer. And, you know, I killed a deer at a different property. And then the guy that I hunt with and his boy both killed other bucks off that property that were, you know, 135 to 145 inch deer, because, You know, we've, we've all had those wasted seasons. It's just, you can, you can spend an entire year chasing ghosts and yeah, it'd be cool. But, um, you know, if you're, if you have a good hunt and a deer comes by, you know, don't talk yourself out of killing a deer that you'd be happy with Mm -hmm. for some deer that you might have one or two trail camera pictures of and have no idea. He might, he might've died a week ago and so he's hanging in somebody's garage and you don't know it you know, and that's, that's fine. I mean, and if, if that's really what you're after and you get, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not not going to tell anybody else how to hunt, but I, I hear too many guys like express regret of oh, I, I spent all year chasing this deer and I, I passed a really nice 160. It's like, why? Like, unless you've got 10 of them on the wall already, it, what are you doing passing a deer like that, that you would be absolutely tickled with. If you took this one trail camera picture out of the equation, would you have shot that deer? Oh yeah, all day. You should have shot that deer.
0: Yeah, okay. no kidding. That that makes good sense. It's uh I think the the big thing for me with trail cameras is uh when when we do catch those bucks on there, you know, it just adds a little fuel to the fire just to get out there more often, I think. Yeah. Just just knowing what what opportunity could await. And and uh like I rare, that, rarely, I, rarely see some of those bucks out there when, when I'm hunting, especially not until, like you said, later on in a rut when they start moving. Right. But, but uh yeah, just uh
3: increase that chance. And, and they're like, but even, even that cuts both ways. Like that's something that in the last few years I've, I've, I've probably changed the most about is because that is the reaction, right? You saw this deer and especially if it's like intermittent, like, it's one thing if you've got him often and you've got him on a pattern and you kind of know what he's doing and, and you're methodical about it. But too many guys, like I said, they get one or two trail camera pictures of a really good deer. And then as soon as the season opens, they're burning those stands out. They're mm-hmm. in there all the time. Man, it, the next sit could be the sit. The next sit mm-hmm. could be the sit. And you're 100% right. It could. But you've been in the same stand five days in a row, twice with the wrong wind, because that mm-hmm. was the tree that you saw this picture of two and a half months ago, like this is, you're, this is not the right approach. You're, you're not only, are you potentially running that monster deer out of there, you're potentially running other deer out of there that you don't even know about. Again, I go back to my mindset. If you're, if you're in there enough that you're running your does out now you've taken what was a slim chance and you've cut it in half again, because as long as you've got does on your property, you've got hope for the biggest buck you've ever seen in your life but if you're out there chasing bucks so much that you're running your does off they're gonna follow the does when those deer are most huntable and Mm -hmm. they will be somewhere else
0: yeah yeah no kidding um that uh that whole situation really played out for you well this fall too um, at the start of the podcast there, you're, you're sharing some photos or before we started the podcast, you shared a couple of photos of the, of the buck you were able to harvest this fall. And, and, uh, you'd said you only captured one trail camera photo of that, of that sucker before you're, uh, you're able to get it. But let's, uh, let's share that story with the, with the listeners right now. Why don't you
3: give us the, uh, the rundown on how that went. So I don't know how you guys' fall was, but it was, From a weather standpoint, it was really weird for us. We had a lot of weird wind. Um, We had a lot of south wind and a lot of east wind that we usually don't have. Um, And one of the properties that I hunt, the very southern edge of the property runs along a railroad bed, Um, and it's kind of a—it's not a swamp, but it's a—it's a little wood lot that uh, holds some water. but it's, it's thick and it's overgrown. And for whatever reason, the deer love bedding up against that railroad bed. Um, and there's about uh, probably four acres of really good woods surrounded by another five or six of just kind of mediocre timber. That's a really um, dense bedding area. Uh, there's four different doe groups that use it pretty religiously year after year um, as their core bedding area. But there's no good way to either hunt it or get into it um, without a really good wind or a really long walk so we we run trail cameras on that property and we had all of the does and we'd see an occasional buck but nothing uh particularly exciting four days before our firearms opener we had a a distant trail camera photo of a deer that you could tell was really nice Um, but he was just far enough away you know the big ones is never 20 yards in front of your camera right they're always you know standing perfectly and giving you three or four head turns that you can see all the rag like it's one grainy photo behind a branch a little bit they just always know Um, but you could tell it was a good deer Uh, so firearms opener comes in and we had a southeast wind which was just bonkers shouldn't have it and i decided all right i'm gonna go in i'm gonna sit on top of that on the, the northwest side of that bedding area. I would assume they're going to be in there checking. Plus, it's the firearms opener, so anything can happen. But I, I think they're probably going to cycle through there. So get in, get set, about an hour for uh, sunrise. Um, and 20 minutes after sunrise, So or 20 minutes after shooting light, sunrise uh, hasn't actually happened yet. I hear crunching behind me. It was a pretty frosty morning. And I'm about 20 yards south of one of the east-west tile cuts that run through this woods. So I looked over my right shoulder and I could see a deer. And by the time I turned behind me to look on the other side where he was headed, he had crossed another seven yards and was looking at me. So I got to about, you know, just over my shoulder and saw that he had stopped and was looking and I froze and all I could see at the corner of my eye was, okay, that looks like a, looks like a buck, but I'm, I'm not moving. I can't move. Stands there for, you know, it feels like 15 minutes, but it's likely, you know, 15, 20 seconds and starts walking towards the tree, got to 11 yards and uh, had come close enough that I could tell this is absolutely 100% uh, a shooter buck, but I've not been able to move. I haven't been able to actually turn and look at him. Everything's out of the periphery. He's straight downwind of me. The whole Mm -hmm. time I'm thinking, okay, if he, if he spins or pivots, am I going to be able to get a shot off? And maybe, maybe not. Um, But never raised alarm. Just kind of looked at me. Sun wasn't up high enough yet to, I wasn't in a spot where I would have been silhouetted, but the sun was still low enough that through the trees, I probably just looked like a big fat raccoon on the side of the tree. Mm -hmm as I've kind of walked it after the fact, like, cause I'm the whole time. I'm thinking he just, he has to be busting out. He's downwind. He's got me picked off. Like he's going somewhere guns laying across the, across my lap. What am I going to do about it? And he stands there for another 15 seconds or so and, uh, kind of takes a turn to his 10 o'clock and starts going away from me. He has to clear some branches and that 25 yards I shot, he was quartering away pretty steep and he dropped right there dropped and went down and to this point i all i know was it was a big deer had absolutely no good visibility of him whatsoever so i'm shaking at this point pretty good because i knew it was a good deer and sit down and get my binoculars pick them up and he's laying on his left side and i look through the binoculars and i see a kicker coming off the right main beam and i i just remember sitting there going what did i just do jackpot um Yeah, exactly. Uh, And I actually sat in the tree for an hour and a half before I got down. Because every time I looked at that deer through the binoculars, I was shaking so bad that I I couldn't even get out of the tree stand to go put hands on him. I was, frankly, I was waiting for a doe to come by so I could film my last doe tag so I could calm down a little bit. That was kind of my mindset, but ended up getting down. And even that's kind of funny because I walk up on him and uh, as I'm, I'm coming up to him, He's, there's two holes on the entrance side. And I, I literally stopped 10 feet from the deer. And I said, did you shoot twice? (laughs) Like I literally had to replay it because of how it had, did you, did you like freak out and shoot twice? And once we we got him open and and got looking i think i had hit um not the last rib but the next to last rib relatively flush with a 150 grain hornaday bullet from a 30 30 at 25 yards mm-hmm. uh, and when he went down his ass kind of dropped out from underneath him he sat down like a dog um, so i think i hit that rib flush enough that i essentially broke his back and then it proceeded to crack that rib, break the next two, crack the one in front of that. I could fit my hand through the hole that it, the bullet ripped in his rib cage, um, and then the bullet skipped back out. Oh, as near yeah. like that was that was it.
0: No
2: so
3: I could actually put air in his left lung, and his right air would hold or his right lung would hold air, but his liver was liquefied. But if I hadn't broken his back the way that bullet hit flush i mean who knows i mean he the bullet probably would have gone through and i did double lunged him i think but Mm -hmm. just coming in dead downwind picking me off in the tree bullet hitting the way like nothing about that morning went the way that it did on top of the fact that uh nobody hunting to the north of me saw that deer that morning which means he was bedded in the woodlot that i walked in he had to have let me walk by within 50 yards of him without busting out of that woodlot that morning wow um and like i said it was a frosty morning yeah i you it's one of those properties that actually when you don't bump deer walking in you get nervous yeah because that's usually the kiss of death like you just you always do they they bed there there's nothing you can do about it um but for nobody else to have seen that deer that morning he he had to hear me walk in and when i hit the edge of the woods i i don't know if it makes any difference but i jog i as much as i can i jog to my stand so it sounds like a couple deer getting bumped i had already bumped deer so i kind of jog through that little cut just to sound different than some fat old white dude walking through the middle of the woods right just to something sneak a little bit different <laughs> yeah right so Whether it helped or not, I don't know, but he, he, he was bedded the way that lays out. He had to have been bedded within 50 yards of where I walked in. Um, and then, uh, so we got him out of there and, you know, first look at him, we kind of had a number on him and then we get him back and we throw him on the scale. And he's two before, before we gutted him, uh, was 248 pounds. So, a a big deer, uh, and then kind of put tape to him um he's a main frame 10 he had triple brow tines on his right side the kicker main kicker off the main beam on his right side he broke off triple brow tines on his left side and he damaged his velvet kicker on the left side so at one time he was a, a matching uh, main beam kicker on the outside with triple brow tines and even busted up uh, i've got him taped at 179 and 58 right now so uh, just his neck was uh 29 and a half inches around at the center of his throat patch wow just an absolute toad yeah and like i said we had we had trail cameras up on that property all year um and i had exactly one picture of him four days before that morning um and it's you know we 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 had taken one doe off that property to that point we, you know we we'd We'd hunted it. We'd taken deer. It's not like we were saving it for anything. Um, but there's a couple other properties that only get gun hunted. And those guys, I think, probably waited until the week before firearm season to get in there and get their stands and started pushing a deer around. Mm-hmm. But he clearly didn't live on our, you know, like I said, it's 60 acres. He clearly wasn't living there. I had three cellular show cameras up. I would have seen him at some point. Yeah. And they just started pushing him around. And he found somewhere else to go take a nap that night. And uh, I lucked into it. I wasn't hunting that deer. I didn't, like I said, we had that truck camera picture, but I, looking at that picture, he looked like a real solid 150, maybe 160 inch deer. Yeah, That that was what we assumed he was. Um, and I just wanted to be where the does were knowing that there would be bucks showing up to, to scent check those does uh, to that point. The biggest deer we'd seen on that property is probably 135 inch, uh, eight point that, i think he was probably just a three and a half year old but he's he's a pretty strong three and a half year old um that was the biggest deer we'd seen on that property to that point oh that's awesome it's a great story
0: um now we've we've talked a lot about trail cameras and uh kind of how how they've worked for success in the woods and and all that and w- what i kind of want to know is you know when i first started got my first couple trail cameras and i had had no idea how to set them up and there wasn't a lot going on internet wise when i got my first view and i just found a tree with a trail strapped it on there and came back like a month later sometimes depending on where you set them up and checked out the photos and you're like wow half of these photos are shit what am i doing wrong <laughs> you know uh-huh. so um I- i'm sure lots of people listen to the podcast right now Are have quite a bit of experience setting up trail cameras and I'm sure some of them are, have never set up a trail camera. So, um, when you're setting them up, are, do you alter your setup on, uh, depending on what species you're, you're targeting? So from Turkey to whitetail are obviously two species that you, you target quite a bit there in Indiana. Um, are they similar setups or how, how, how would they differ between those two species for you.
3: So for me it, it's it's different because I want to I want to catch deer in travel routes. I don't want a camera that's taking a bunch of pictures while they're trying to work a food plot. You know, because if if they're already in motion, then you know, the camera taking a picture, they're already moving on. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, but the chances of a camera malfunctioning or making a noise or something like that in an area where they're at for a longer period of time, just gives them more of a potential opportunity to go, uh, what's, what's that, what's that clicking over on the tree? What's that flash? What's whatever the case may be. Um, you know, for deer, I'm always find a trail. Um, And, and position that trail camera to catch the deer coming and going. You know, I think at this point, everybody has probably heard, don't set your trail camera up perpendicular to your trail. Set it so that it's off at an angle and gives it a longer time for the trigger to catch up. You're going to get more photos of that deer rather than, you know, like I said, there's a trail going east, west and I'm going to point it north and you have one chance. And if that deer is moving fast, you get a whole bunch of empty frames and no deer in it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I want to catch deer where they are mobile. I want to catch deer where they are not going to be. I want to catch deer on multiple trail convergences. I want to scout as many possible trails and entrances and exits as possible with as few cameras as possible. Um, for turkeys, I'm looking for strut zones, I'm looking for areas that they are going to hang out um, it's a smaller target. Um, they are they're 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 habit based, but they're it's a different habit so i'm looking for where they're going to go scratch where they're going to go strut. Um, whether that's um, bean stubble as opposed to corn or whether that just happens to be like you know, like a green clover field that I think they're going to work an edge something like that turkeys. I don't want to catch them moving. I want to know, okay, is this bird coming into this field and hanging out for an hour? Great. Mm-hmm. That's a bird. I'm going to be able to work from that area. Um, so yeah, different, different approaches for spring and fall for sure.
0: Yeah. So when you're setting up for turkeys and and whitetail with your trail, trail camera, do you have any like uh, general rules for height that you're going to set them up at? Always
3: lower than you think, you know, okay. the, the, I'm gonna, it's gonna sound mocky and it's gonna sound judgy, and I only half mean it that way. The old stick a stick behind the camera trick is like the literal worst thing you can do. Um, shameless plug, there's a, there is a video on our YouTube channel. It's how to get the best pictures from your Spy Point Show camera. Um, and one of the things I talk about in there is, where the height to set it at, not to cram that stick in there. And it's, it's tough to explain without a visual, but, um, you know, the, the sensor in your camera, if you think of it as just a laser beam, that's being shot out from your trail camera, it's only going to be, you know, that's your detection range. So let's just for sake of argument, it's a hundred foot detection range. So you're shooting a laser out a hundred feet. And if it's perfectly level, you're going to maximize that hundred foot radius. But now let's put that, instead of having that thing about waist-high shooting 100 feet, let's move it two feet higher up the tree, get it shoulder height, and then put a stick in there that cants it down at about 10 degrees. Now your invisible laser isn't shooting out into infinity. It's pointed down. So you've taken your effective detection range and you've you've absolutely eviscerated it because, A... It's pointing down. So let's say you've only decreased it to where that laser is now pointing in the ground at 65 feet away. Well, that's fine, but that's where it hits the ground. So if there's a deer 80 feet away, it's not going to trip that. You know, and, and if it happens to step over the detection zone just right, even at 65 feet, it might not get it. So always lower. And as level as you can possibly mount it. Um deer aren't as, you know, and, and some of it very, you know, moose is a little bit taller than a deer, elk's a little bit taller than a deer, but a deer's not as tall as you think it is. Um and and the other the other thing that people don't pay attention to a lot of times is is the topography. You know, a small roll here or there or, or a little hill in the like you can you could ruin a lot of trail camera pictures by not kind of compensating for some of the just the natural features that are there Um, but i i always try to go about hip high try to keep those cameras as level as possible maximize that detection range and and especially for the way i hang them i'm hanging in transition zones on moving deer so Mm -hmm. i i need that detection zone and that detection range to be maximized so that i can get you know and there's times on a just a standard walking trail where that deer never stops i've got eight photos of the same deer on two on just a two photo burst so it's not like i'm you know snapping six pictures quick 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 Mm -hmm. but the right angle the right height maximizing that detection zone they're walking right to you and if it's just a nice slow amble you're gonna catch that deer a lot of times and get more photos well chalk that up to something learned on this
0: podcast for me already because i'm usually the guy said i'm at least like around head to neck height and then sometimes sticking that stick in there to get, yeah. get
3: it angled down so <laughs> i'm only judging you just a little bit not a, not a lot just a little bit
1: that's what i was gonna say is uh after listening to this i'm gonna have to tell my dad take a listen because i'm pretty sure he puts sticks in his pockets when he goes and hangs his trail cams because <laughs> i think every one of them has a few sticks behind him uh-huh
3: it's hey i've, I've been guilty too it's i will self-incriminate it's not, not something that i haven't done um but it i've since i've changed my ways it has certainly improved the the number and quality of of photos that i've been able to get for sure
0: yeah no kidding do you do you uh Are you a strictly photo guy or do you run some on video
3: also? I don't run video. Um, I take that back. I rarely run video. Um, every so often I will get buggy and I will put a non-cellular camera on, uh, scrapes right when they first to get hot. Um, and I mainly do that on properties where I don't have a good feel for what's there. Hmm. Um, just because, um, you know and that that's another thing too is it's once you know scrapes are open you've almost missed like that that's once you see them open they're kind of already starting to wind down at least at least the kind of the peripheral scrapes right um, like we got a couple properties where And they're still working scrapes right now. I mean, it's middle of May and they're still hitting the licking branches and they're not pawing the ground open quite as much, but they're still visiting the scrapes. So if you know you've got some of those community scrapes, that's a great place for it. Um, But by and large, you know, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of February scouting, at least here. You know, as soon as that snow comes off, um, nothing is green yet. And you've got all that winter traffic that even while they were walking on snow they're turning that ground to mud beneath it and as soon as that snow melts off i mean i i went through the one property and it it's still this it's 20 acres it's not a big property but the deer are using it i mean it's just you've got a freaking highway running through the middle of the woods you can't figure it out um, but i know a couple of the trees there that i know for the last four years they've had scrapes under them um, and i'll go in about two weeks before i expect that to open and i'll i'll put a non-cell camera there and i'll run it on video mode just because i want to get a better idea of because i don't have a good inventory and it's not a a property that gets used heavily by these deer it's it's very much a lottery ticket property um but i want to know you know who's who's kind of using it so i will do that Um, but by and large i'm on the photos yeah um, videos you can find some cool stuff and and we've you know we've gotten some really cool user submission videos and some really cool stuff that's happened um but uh for straight scouting purposes the only thing that kind of interests me is the scrapes because it's mainly the bucks that are hitting them You can get you know they're up there and they're turning their head and they're licking and they're moving and you can get a really good 360 degree view of of uh of the rack and and see what you're working with but by and large just, I take a minimalist approach to it. Yeah. When are there deer there? Are mm-hmm. they does or are they bucks? Um, and, and really focus on that portion of it. Yeah. Cause like I said, my, my approach is really hunt the little D deer, just be where there are deer of some sort more often than not. And your chances exponentially go up for everything that you want to happen.
0: Yeah. That that's always been kind of my approach to deer hunting too, is like put yourself in a good area and if you want a big buck eventually a
3: big buck will be there if you put in the time right i i kind of have a rule of thumb um and it's if someone tells me how great of a deer hunter they are i generally discount everything they're about to say (laughs) which maybe sounds silly um but uh, the the best deer hunters that i've ever talked to the first thing they will tell you is a you can't kill a big deer that's not there you can, if you can will a two hundred inch limit to on yourself all you want. If your area grows one hundred and forty inches, you better get used to just killing mature one hundred and forty inches because mm-hmm. you, you can't make something that's not there appear. Um, and the second thing that they'll tell you is it's it's time in the tree stand. You know the the celebrities and and the the influencers and and the folks that do that. I mean, I I don't think. I don't think the average hunter has a full appreciation for how much time they spend in the stand um, and more than that i don't think they understand how much of an actual grueling grind that can be we all think we would like to spend 40 hours a week in a tree stand until it's your job to go kill something on camera and you have to spend 40 hours a week in a tree stand mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yeah. then all of a sudden it gets a lot more difficult but if you had that t- kind of time to invest in it over enough time yeah you're you're gonna kill big deer because you it's a it's a lottery ticket and the every minute you're in the stand is a lottery ticket so the more of those you're punching the more likely you are to to do it but so much of it is you know that deer i killed that's i didn't kill that deer because i'm some great hunter i happened to be in the right spot at the right time yeah got lucky i'll be lucky than good as often as possible but i think I think where you can make a difference is you can put luck in your favor by doing some smart things. That doesn't make you, that's the first buck tag I filled in Indiana in seven years. It's a whole lot yeah. of years. I'm not killing deer. Yeah. Because you know, sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's access. Sometimes it's just bad luck, whatever the case may be. You know, like I said, you, Oh, you work in the hunting industry. You killed 180 inch deer. You must be a good deer hunter. No, no, <laughs> no better than most folks there's i've got some things i do that i think help yeah but it's just it's so much of its luck and yeah. anybody that won't tell you that so much of it is luck is that's somebody i i'm gonna discount right off that i'm a great deer hunter and here's how i'm gonna tell you why uh, i doubt it
0: yeah yeah 100 percent. tons of luck there um do the uh We've been talking a lot about the, the cellul- cellular trail camera. I can't talk tonight, actually, but uh, <laughs> the cellular trail cameras. Um, and uh, we we're just talking about video there. Do, do they send video over s- cellular or just photos?
3: The spy points don't. Um, that's It's not something that we've done to this point. Uh, we do, uh, when a camera's in photo or a video mode with spy point, you can also select photo first. So it takes a picture of what it then takes video of. Um, so like in the instance, say so you got it on a scrape. Okay. You watch three or four does hit it over the course of three days and then you see a picture of a you know, hundred and seventy inch monster come in and he's getting ready to kill that scrape. Okay, great. You can go pull your card and you can get the video off of it and um recover it at the end of the season or if you're in there to change batteries, wherever the case may be. Um, but the the bandwidth required to transfer video is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's there's just there's some challenges that revolve around that. Um you know, a, a big hallmark of SpyPoint is, is trying to make the technology affordable for everybody that wants to use it. You start getting into some of that kind of stuff and your photo transmission plans and, and the costs that are associated with sending that much data. There's no way to like build the capability in and make it cost effective for everybody Mm -hmm. when a bunch of people don't want to use it and then kind of have it be an a la carte thing. So to this point, um, our approach has been to, to just keep it simple, keep it affordable, let as many people as possible use, um, the technology that want to. Um, so video is one thing that's sacrificed in that.
0: Right. hundred percent, man. Um, the second question I have about those is, is the solar panels on them. Do you have to have that, uh, solar panel pointed in a certain direction and are they attached to the camera or can you can you move them independently or how
3: does that work no so in on the link s dark and the micro s and the solar dark those are integrated solar panels they can't be moved they're uh but they're a passive solar panel so think of them similar to uh like little handheld calculators that don't need batteries right Mm. so um it doesn't it's not like the the electric fence chargers that, you know, okay, you got to have six hours of sunlight, direct sunlight, whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's way more passive than that. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be direct, just ambient light. Um, you know, if you can, if you can take one of those little handheld calculators in and, and it works like you might not get as much charge as what you would if it was out on a field edge that gets four hours of morning sun, obviously, but, um, you will get something out of it. Mm Mm-hmm yeah cool and um, then we have we have um 12 volt kits and solar panels that are separate that you can hook up to any of the cameras as well but for the integrated ones no those those can't be removed and they're not a they're not directional and partially because they don't really need to be
0: yeah that that's one thing i i find spy point has has excelled in quite a bit is the brand's ability to not only make products um that are great for their own purpose but also making products that can be multifunctional um, beyond just spy point products so like your um, you can make any trail camera a cellular trail trail camera plus your your uh, solar devices and, and all that stuff so um, that's pretty cool as a brand like like that so you're you're making accessible for for everybody to keep up with technology pretty much no matter where
3: you're at and that cell link has been hugely pop, you know hugely hugely see now i can't talk you <laughs> hugely popular because so many guys have non-cell cameras that they're still working um you know and and i get it i i don't i trout cameras that i don't want to transition over you know and just quit using but i you know once cellular cellular trail cameras are addicting once you once you get into the cycle of not having to go pull cards when it's 95 degrees outside and the humidity's awful and the mosquitoes are bad and you're dreading going into hang stands and i want to know what's out there but i really don't want to go traipsing through the woods and sweating all over everything like you get spoiled really quick and then you look at these three or four other trail cameras you got you're like man i wish those were cellular plug a cell link into them and and get the same functionality as you would if it was a cellular device. And then when they, when they peter out, you know, truck cameras do, we'd love it if they lasted a decade, but electronics, my phone's not going to last 10 years either. So, yeah. um, you know, and then as you kind of phase things out, you can transition over to, to all cellular cameras and go from there.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, I, th- I think a big question, a lot of the listeners are having or might have right now is they're saying, I love the idea of a cellular trail camera, but how much is this going to
3: cost me to to run one? Mm-hmm. No, and it's it's the biggest question, and and rightfully so, um, and and probably it's also where SpyPoint sets itself apart from the balance of the market more than any. And I know that sounds like. Okay, great. The SpyPoint Marketing's guy here is is here, and I can I can hear it. Um, but it's it's factual that you could buy a SpyPoint cellular trail camera and never spend a dime on additional cellular services. Um, SpyPoint is the only cellular trail camera manufacturer that offers a free transmission plan. Um, you're not going to get every photo, but you're going to get a hundred a month at absolutely no cost. So if you know where you're at you know, you're only looking at three or four pictures a day, you can get most of the photos that camera is going to take sent to you at absolutely no cost. hundred photos are coming to you free, no maintenance fees, no setup, no monthly minimums, nothing. Um, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, we're also one of the few companies that offers an actual unlimited. It's not some really high gigabyte thing where then you get to do math and figure out how many photos are in a gigabyte and are you going to go through them all? Um, you know, we, we offer, we call it our truly unlimited plan because it is truly unlimited. Every photo that camera takes is going to get sent to your app. And there's a couple levels in between. Um, but you know, like I said, we're, we're offering a free option and we are offering an unlimited option. Um, and that unlimited option is, is really affordable. Um, you can do that on a month to month or you can do it on an annual basis. Um, so if you, you know, I'm a guy, I, I, my trail cameras aren't going to take pictures of anything in the garage. So I, my cameras are out. Um, so now I run stuff on annual plans because that's how I use my cameras. So I get 33% off, you know, it's of course U S dollars, it's $15 a month and $10 a month. Um, if you go annual. So you're looking at a, every photo that camera takes that it's out for the year for 120 bucks, depending on how far you are from where you hunt, that might be, two trips of gas, like not to mention the amount of, and that's all quantifiable. How much time did you save? Not having to go, how much gas Mm -hmm. did you not spend? The part you can't can't quantify is okay. But how, how many hairs did you not leave? How many, how many ounces did you not sweat into the ground? How many deer (laughs) did you not bump when you were in there? And there's no way to quantify that. Um, but if if you're able to stay out of the woods and make fewer trips, you know what what's your offset point there? Yeah,
0: I some of the places I hunt, man, it's that's one trip to the woods, pretty much, and back and gas for me. So mm-hmm. that's uh that's a good uh,
3: a good um, comparison right there, man. Well, and you can save another twenty percent too. Is we launched the Spy Point Insiders Club last year, um, and that's. Uh, you know, there's, there's purchase benefits and, and one of the purchase benefits is 20% off photo transmission plans. That's month to month. That's annual. However you're using it, you know, maybe, maybe you just want to run the free plan through the summer. And then like when hunting season kicks up September, October, I'll pay for a couple months of unlimited and then turn it back off. That's great. You mm-hmm. can do that. And if you're a, if you're an insiders club member, you're going to save 20% on those month to month plans too. Um, but you know, you're, you're going to maximize your savings on the photo transmission plans when you're annual, but you're also saving on accessories, free shipping at spypoint.com. Some other stuff like that, uh, entered into a whole bunch of giveaways. Um, all the AI filters are unlocked for you mm-hmm. 12 months of look back instead of 30 days. Like there's, there's a lot to the insiders club that it, frankly, if you're, if you're running three or four cameras, like it pays for itself just in the photo transmission plan savings and then everything else just gravy.
0: Yeah. I think, I think for a lot of guys who are listening to or a lot of folks that are listening um, and they're saying, you know, I, I only like to do my check my trail cameras or put them out in the fall or whatever. So, you know, a, an annual plan might not be for me, but if mm-hmm. I could uh, do a quick marketing plug for you here too, I know lots of guys that use them for like home security and stuff like that too, mm-hmm. just 100%. for off season stuff, you know, it's a, it's a great option. Um, I think, there's a lot of different trail camera brands out there. And you know, when you, when you start reading into some of the, uh, some of the options and some of the, you, there's trigger speed, there's range and direction, there's, there's um, uh, you know, uh, solar, there's a cellular, there's a, all kinds of stuff. What, what do you think are some of the, the major um, things that you want to look for and some of the valuable uh, options on these cameras that are, you know, going to make a good trail camera?
3: i'll start by saying some of what i think is the most overrated um and you'll see a lot of guys that get hung up on megapixels and i i don't understand that you know first of all i'm not taking trail camera pictures to blow up to poster size to hang above my fireplace like that's just not what i'm doing with them i are there deer in the picture yes okay cool is it a is it a buck like is there a lot of antler on there cool. I don't need to be able to dissect every detail. Some guys need to, and that's fine. I get it. But for, for how I'm using trail cameras, that's not part of it. So megapixels is because everybody kind of understands that, like, that's just one of the really simple, basic things that they understand. More megapixels must be better to a certain extent, maybe. Um, But I think it's megapixels is, is overstated to me. Detection range. That's a big one. That is how big of an area you are going to trigger you know the the more forgiving that range is the more flexible you know when it comes to cellular signal can vary a lot in a really small area so you need to be flexible with you know we all have that tree that we want it on right but Mm -hmm. if you can't get reliable signal there it doesn't do you any good for it to be there and we've all stood there with our phone and been like, well, this sucks. I can't get this call out. And then you go two steps to the left and all of a sudden you're in magical five G perfect land and you can do streaming everything. And it's wonderful, Mm -hmm. right? Like cellular signals don't make sense. So having that extended detection range or a little bit bigger detection range just gives you a little bit more flexibility to position that camera where it's going to work regardless of, of any condition.
0: Right. Um, So, so uh, just to break down that, that, detection range um how is that measured so i i'm I'm guessing it's measured in distance from the camera and it's also measured in degrees width from the sensor is that correct
3: yeah and the the detection zone area for pretty much every like there there really isn't as much difference as people think is there uh your your main factor is going to be that actual detection range 80 or 100 feet whatever it mm-hmm. is um, most cameras are going to have somewhere between like a 38 and a 45 degree detection zone the your cone of what's going out in front of the camera it might be a little bit bigger it might be a little bit smaller but by and large that's what it's going to be is is a about a 40 per 40 degree cone mm
0: mm-hmm interesting and is there anything else that that's a real like need to have for for uh getting
3: into a trail camera these days i uh, trigger trigger speed would be the next one um just because again we talk about being forgiving um it's it, the quicker that camera comes out of sleep mode and starts capturing photos the less likely you are to have empty photos especially you know if you're going cellular and you're, you're worried about like budgeting and how many photos do I need, and you're trying to get away with a 250 photo or a thousand photo plan as opposed to paying for unlimited, the last thing you want is a bunch of empty pictures. Like you want every one of those pictures to count. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the faster trigger speed is just more likely that even if a deer's moving, it's going to come out of sleep mode, snap that photo, especially you pair fast trigger speed with a quality detection range. Now you've extended the range at which the camera is going to be detected. You've sped up the processing time of when that's going to happen so that you can move forward. Hmm. Interesting. One other thing with that too, and it's because it's a thing that I see see commonly, and it was actually one of the first blogs that I wrote for the website was um, understanding the difference between shutter speed and trigger speed. I've seen you'll see guys they'll comment like it's a blurry nighttime photo, and they'll say, "Yeah, trigger speed's too slow." Trigger speed doesn't have anything to do with blurry photos. When things are moving at night, you're using a flash, you're going to have blur. Because that's how shutter speed works in, in it requires more flash to capture a photo at night, like basic photography class from high school. Right. Trigger speed is how fast that camera is coming out of sleep mode, but you when it's midnight on a new moon and it's dark and you got a flash. If that deer's moving. Yes sorry there's only so much so much that can be done with light and the ambient light and being able to capture that image so understanding that difference between shutter speed and trigger speed is important
0: yeah that is a big that's a great point actually and uh i, I think that's you know one common thing people see in trail cameras is just that that blur when things are moving especially at night mm-hmm. uh yeah so so obviously spy point is seems to be really at the forefront of uh, the technological advances in the trail camera industry, what are, we, we've talked a lot about the, the cellular trail cameras and the, and the solar panels and, and all that. And obviously those seem to be like the, the newest, the latest, latest and greatest stuff. Is there anything else that you guys are, uh, that you have out or that, uh, you know, you might be able to share with us that, uh, are coming out in the near
3: future here? So the new 2021 products are going to be coming out, uh, in a matter of days. Um, you know, we're, we're still dealing with a lot of the the supply issues that everybody is coming off of this wonderful COVID pandemic that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of been a, a twofold issue is, um, you know, it, it slowed down a, a lot of supply issues for all kinds of stuff. You know, we all remember the hand sanitizer and toilet paper shortages, but then the other part of it too, is it brought so many people back to the outdoors that just the gear was flying off the shelves. I mean you had you had places that couldn't just couldn't keep anything in stock. You know, the hunting the hunting side was busy. Um but I got some friends in the industry that work on the fishing side that they're like, we're three years behind on orders. Like just that many people you, know, you could go inside to do anything. So everybody went outside to do stuff and we we rediscovered this magical place called the outdoors where there's all kinds of stuff to do. And now we've got all kinds of more people out doing stuff and that's great. That's awesome. But it's led to some supply chain issues in a lot of, a lot of places and, and everybody's backed up a little bit, but the new products are coming out here relatively soon. The two new, uh, cameras for this year, we've got one new cellular and one new non-cellular, the link S dark marries two really popular cameras for us. We had the link S and we had the link dark, um, had the hybrid illumination flash system in the link dark and we had the the integrated solar panel in the link s and now those are combined so for those folks that are familiar with the solar dark in our non-cellular line um, there's basically now a cellular version of the solar dark so you've got a cellular trail camera with an integrated solar panel an onboard lithium battery that doesn't Need to be recharged because you got that solar panel and our hybrid illumination technology flash system, our hit flash system. So you've got four different flash settings that you can choose from, from blur reduction to boost to optimal to uh, no glow. So you can go with a true blackout flash, and that's that also has the fastest trigger speed available in trail camera at seven one hundredths of a of a second, so less than a tenth of a second trigger speed. So you bring all of that together. Um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that's the, literally the most complete trail camera ever. It's, it's, it's cellular, it's solar, it's fast. It, you've got flash options. Like, yeah, it's, it's just about literally what else do you want it to do type of a situation. No kidding. What,
0: what is the, was a total blackout flash? What is that?
3: So everything, you know, we used to way back in the, in the far ago times when we had the big d cell batteries and 35 millimeter uh, film for all the kids that are now googling 35 millimeter film because they've never seen a film canister when we had to go develop trail camera photos um, everything was a white flash and then we went to the ir flash and that's what gives us the the black and white photos Um, but even with an ir flash there's still a, a dim red light if you are in a completely pitch black room and you trigger a low glow so That's why they're low-glow LEDs. Um, you, you'll see a, just a faint red light. Not, it's not bright by any means, but you'll see a red light. Um, the no-glow LEDs, the blackout LEDs, don't emit even that red light. It's a, it is a spectrum of light that is not visible to the human eye whatsoever. Um, so it's, it's not detectable.
0: Hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. I guess that that kind of will kind of bring me up to some one of my wrap up questions here. But what's what's one of the most unique applications that you've heard of or seen a cell camera or uh, not a cell camera, but a trail camera used for or maybe a story that you got?
3: There's there's a few. um, And one of them I was just talking about not that just earlier this week, actually, I think most guys don't really think about trail cameras for waterfowl hunting but i i know several guys here locally that use them specifically for wood duck. We we've, we've got some decent wood duck populations around here. They're primarily in woods and swamps and flooded timbers and that kind of thing and and they kind of know the area that they're in but they don't necessarily know, you know, how many and and that kind of thing. They can be a little a little tough to get a read on, so they'll use that to uh monitor wood duck, which was was pretty cool. In the south, we've got a lot of guys that they'll use their cameras in conjunction with the hog traps uh, so they can live, essentially live monitor, you know, are there hogs taking the bait? Do they have, you know, are there five or six in the area, but only ones in the, the trap and they wait for them to get in there and then they actually have a remote controlled switch on that hog trap that then closes the door behind those hogs and, and locks them in. We actually have a pro staff member in Louisiana that has a a hog, a hog removal company. That they use them to monitor sounders of hogs, uh, and then they go in. They use thermal and and rifles and nighttime, and um, they're monitoring a lot of properties and a lot of hogs, not for recreational hunting, but because of the impact on agriculture and and neighborhoods and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's a lot of guys you, you actually alluded to it a little bit ago that'll use it. You know, maybe they got a hunting cabin or something like that, that they're worried about people getting into. They'll use them as security cameras, you know, point them at a door or even set them up in the house. So if somebody does break in, you know, they, they get that picture. Um, and I know a couple of people that have used them as cheap home security systems, even just while they're on vacation, you know, they'll, <laughs> I had a, a guy, uh, tell me at a, at an event a couple of years ago that, he he suspected that his neighbor was stealing his spare propane tanks and he went on vacation and you know it was one of those deals where you know my neighbor gets my mail and so he knew when i was gone and he set set the trail camera up in the backyard and caught his neighbor coming over and taking the propane tank off of his grill and replacing it with one that was more empty and just like wow all right that's awesome it's like best of next door, you know, oh the next door God. app. Like it's one of those stories almost. About- so I, I got to chuckle out of that.
0: Balls on that dude. I actually have uh one of my buddies, um, similar story. Uh, he, he works out of town quite a bit and he said he was noticing his wood pile would, would go down a little bit every time he wanted <laughs> <laughs> to out of town. So he set up a trail camera and sure enough, his neighbor would come over and load up a wheelbarrow and scoop back over to his place with it. <laughs>
3: fantastic
1: yeah it's just magical amazing i got a i got a few questions here for you trent uh if i can butt in there chase it's kind of i'm gonna ask you some budget questions just because i run probably 10 to 12 different mm-hmm. types of cameras but for for somebody that's getting into hunting or getting into anything it, what what's something that you would budget like well, how much money would you put into a camera when you're getting started and um and especially with spy point like what, what kind of camera are we looking at for uh, for the first time buyers
3: if you're if you're wanting to get into cellular trail cameras you know we we spy point's commitment really again i'm going to harp on it um, has been making the technology available to anybody um, when we brought the link evo out in 2017 that was a cellular trail camera for less than $300 and And everybody like lost their mind because, you know, I, I remember when I saw cellcoms first come out and they're like $800, $900. I'm like, there ain't no way. Like I I love hunting. I can't do that. So we, we kept whittling away at that and getting down to it. And then in 2019, when we, when we showed up at ATA with the link micro and that was my literal first official day on the job was getting to be the marketing guy and the social media guy for spy point. When we just, Went to dollars hundred and forty nine ninety nine for a cellular trail camera, like that's huge. Yeah, um, and and the prices have have even come. You know, there's there's you'll find them even better deals. You know, this year you're going to be able to, to get the Link Micro in a twin pack. You know, MSRP you know in US dollars around one hundred ninety nine bucks. So you're looking at a cell camera for a hundred bucks, and you're able to find them on promo around that. You know, US dollars again. You know, a couple times in the last year. So the first thing is always watch for sales, you know, watch, watch, watch for stuff on, on sale, but that base link micro, you know, you're, you're in, you should be able to get into your first cell camera for about a hundred bucks from there. It's the factor of what do you want to spend on everything else? Right. The, and uh, you can get your feet wet with that free plan. You, when you buy a spy point cellular choke camera, and I, I can't emphasize this enough, Everything that's an expenditure after that is 100% up to you. You can experiment with the free plan. You can experiment, you know, get to get to know it and get to use it without becoming an insider. You don't have to be an insider to use a spy point trip camera. You'll save money doing it, but you know, you don't have to spend that money to save that money. And you've got the free plan option. That's, that's where, you know, again, spy point really sets ourselves apart and, just a, a couple other quick tips, just for the, the first time cellular trail cam buyer to understand. Um, you now, again, I know you guys are in Canada, so it's a little bit different in terms of carrier models. US side, we've got two carrier models, but when, when you purchase from SpyPoint, your personal cell phone provider does not factor into your decision whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Purchase the carrier model either for your area. There's an international version and a, and a Canada version, and then in the U.S. we've got a nationwide and a, and a VZN model. Um, pick it based on the coverage map and where what's going to have service. Because your your photo transmission plan purchases are coming from SpyPoint. You don't have to go to your you know you don't have to go into your cell phone shop and say hey I need I need a photo I need a data plan for this camera. It's all through SpyPoint um you're you're managing all of that directly you can see the coverage maps at spypoint.com coverage and have a real good explanation of how to maximize coverage how to choose the right carrier model and everything that goes into that uh, right on the website
1: yeah that's awesome i know uh, where i hunt up here in manitoba i know a lot of my buddies are just starting to get into the so ce- cellular camera type stuff and then my last question is um cold weather how does how does your guys cameras work in the cold weather i know i got a lot of buddies that that hunt northern manitoba for moose and bear and they're running cameras um are you guys is that something that you guys are are nailing down as cold weather part of your plan or well and for for the
3: folks that aren't familiar obviously i'm coming to you again from the the wild wilderness of northeast indiana but um spy point is headquartered in victoriaville quebec So we're a, we're a Canadian company and the coldest camera reading I've seen was minus 58. Uh, Two years ago, we had that nasty cold spell uh, and we had some pro staffers sending it. It kind of became a little bit of a a competition among the pro staffers of, I can find a colder picture taken than you can type of a situation. (laughs) Uh, But we've got, there's people using them in Alaska. There's people using them in you know, all over the place. Damn it. Oh, that's right on. That's awesome.
0: I guess, uh, one final thing that I kind of want to wrap on, wrap up on here, Trent is, uh, you know, um, I had plans on digging into this a little bit deeper, but we are, uh, getting pretty, pretty long in the tooth here and time on this podcast, but spy point is really kind of seems like you guys are evolving as a brand um not just as trail cameras but you know as um information around hunting in general on your website and you have tons of information on there um tell the people where to find or where to find you on the web and what kind of stuff can they find on your website and where else can we can we uh see some of
3: your content so when when I came to the company and you know some of my background, I've I've done some freelance writing and and some content generation that kind of thing, and um, you know I I really wanted to make SpyPoint the voice of land and herd management when it comes to trail cameras. Um, you know we all like to kill big deer, but we're using trail cameras most of us in a much broader sense to get a better feel for what our property needs and and what's going on and you know. By and large, if we hunt, we fish, we camp, we hike. You know, we do all kinds of other things in the outdoors. Um, and there, it's necessarily a shortage of places to to find information like that. But we, you know, use ourselves as a resource and provide that information out. So if you go to our website, you can uh, go to Project Spy Point, and that's our our content hub we've got three video series we've got a habitat series we've got a hunting series we've got a cooking series um brian stevens uh the host of our um hunting uh series game changers he's also the host of we've got a podcast that uh you know we, we do a couple episodes a month we do an ask you, uh ask me anything with our host of our habitat series called building white tails his name is josh pretzer uh he's got a a farm in kansas and just a huge wealth of knowledge as a as a farmer to be able to to cover it from an agriculture standpoint, how agriculture and wildlife can walk hand in hand, and how how you can take advantage of um, improving uh, the property that you have to hunt to to do better for the deer and and to help deer better do what they already want to do. Um, John Casmus hosts our our darn hungry our our cooking series. He's he's a successful restaurateur. He, he played for uh SEC champion, Alabama football team, uh, just a super interesting guy, big uh, energy, that guy, huge, hey? he, huge hunter. Uh, he's, I mean, he's been all over the world. He's part of the Hoyt pro staff and, and he was gracious enough to, to do this cooking series for us. And he's making some delicious food. So we've got that, we've got the podcast and then traditional written blogs as well covering A little bit everything. We're getting into to fishing and destinations. We just, uh, you know, the last podcast guest we had uh, was Joe Henry, who is uh, he's the vice president of uh, tourism for Lake of the Woods in uh, northern uh, Minnesota, right there in Ontario. Um, You know, with the border closing last year, they they had to do something they've never done before to to get fishermen that that came up and were planning to go to the Canada side of Lake of the Woods. They had to build an ice road across Lake of the Woods, a 40 mile ice road on Lake of the Woods uh, to, to help get some customers and some visitors into those those Canadian resorts that really suffered after a year of not being able to bring in uh, some of their their standard guests. So it's it's not trail. If there's one thing, it's not trail camera content. It's it's hunting content. It's lifestyle content. There's there's certainly something there for you. So you can go to spypoint.com slash project. And you can see all the latest things there. You can also go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com spypoint And you can find all those video series. You can see the videos of the podcasts. Uh, of course, anywhere you, if you're listening to this podcast, you can find artists as well. Just search for spy point podcast and you can find that. And of course, we're on all the social medias and a lot of the contents going out through social media as well. Spy point camera on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And then uh, you can search for spy point on Facebook and find us there as well
0: amazing well shelly you got anything else to wrap
1: up pal um no i don't really have much to to say to wrap it up here but uh the there's lots of information i think in this uh in this podcast episode and just like the myself i wasn't uh involved much chase had some really good questions and i kind of just sat back and listened but thank you very much for for coming on i mean uh, i've got a lot of tips and tricks like i said I run quite a few cameras, so I think I'm going to be changing some strategy here coming up uh, this summer and fall. So thanks well, a lot.
3: Hopefully you're you're not reaching out in like eight months and saying, "Hey, remember all that stuff you told me to do? It didn't help, and I blame you." Like let's <laughs> let's, let's hope that's not the situation. Uh, yeah, no kidding.
0: Well, awesome. Thanks for coming out, Trent, and uh, I'll uh, echo some of that. Sheldon and say that uh, I think I can up my my trail cam game quite a bit with uh, some of the stuff that we discussed in this episode and uh, I'm looking forward to diving even deeper into your uh, the website and the content that you guys are putting out there and and uh, I love seeing the content on social media too guys are looking awesome so thanks again for coming on and uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to to uh, leave us with before we
3: I just appreciate you guys having me on and and letting me ramble and hopefully hopefully uh there was some some enjoyment and some information for everybody in there it's it's always I like doing these it's always fun
0: right on well thanks again Trent and uh we'll catch you later sounds good thanks again folks for so listening in to episode 85 with uh Trent Marsh from Spy Point there um, definitely picked up a few trail cam tips and uh looking forward to diving into that that uh that website and the collection and knowledge they have on there fellas what do you got for us to close out this episode
1: i got one quick question for you chase um you probably go to both you guys now that you guys killed some turkeys but chase i know you cooked some turkey breast up there and you made a wicked sandwich by the looks of things on the old instagram feed was that catching you
0: used I didn't use catch and cook on the turkey itself. What I did was uh, I brined the turkey breast, cooked it, smoked it on the pit barrel, and then I made some catch and cook onion rings. And you want to take your shit to the next level, your sandwiches? Smoke <laughs> some, <your> shit. <laughs> smoke some, yeah, smoke some turkey breast on the pit barrel. Smoke some jalapenos on the pit barrel. Make some catch and cook onion rings, throw that on a nice Kaiser bun, fresh from your local, uh, uh, local bakery or make some yourself, whatever you want to do. And, uh, yeah, hold on cause you're going that's, to flavor country.
1: Yeah. That's the thing that I like about catch cook. Not only they're coming out with a bunch of like seasonings, but like their, their catch and cook is, it's not like any other batter, like you can buy for like your fish fries and stuff i'm not going to mention any names but like you can use this stuff on anything like we've done elk cutlets we've done zucchini onion rings now um turkey fish whatever it's not just a a meat like coating it's basically for anything that you want to you know hurt your heart with it's it's awesome
0: (laughs) it is awesome and i think they they do have some uh a new spice uh some spice options that are coming out too which is uh which is pretty pretty sweet I've also noticed catch and cook in your local
2: like outfitter store or even in you know, lockport here, we have them at lockport grocery.
1: So I can, I can see they're getting out there too, as well. Multiple buying options. Yeah, for sure. And if you are using it, tag us in it, tag us in not only tag catch and cook on Instagram, and Facebook, tag us cause we want to check out what you're making. We love cooking and we love finding new ideas. So let us know. And while I'm here on uh, this Outro, I want to tell you guys about our panoramic store. If you've never been to it, go to www.panoramicoutdoors.com. On there, you can find some blog posts. You can find a link to our podcast, and you can also find our merch. And speaking about merch, we've got a lot of cool things happening. Uh, we got a new tank top that we just launched. So if you want to get into something, uh, you know, a little bit uh, super comfortable, but like something other something different other than a t-shirt or a sweater we've got these tank tops online now as well as some coffee cups and of course all of our hats so check us out let us know what you think and if you are wearing our merch and um you're outside send those pictures in because not only will you you may be eligible for a prize but it's always nice to see where our merch gets worn
0: amazing well thanks again everyone for tuning in to this episode keep that leatherman sharp keep your powder dry and since open water just uh opened up here keep those lines tight folks we'll catch you on the next one